0: And he forgot to say my better, more beautiful half, Jennifer Berry. So yeah, give it up for her. Good
1: morning. Good morning.
0: Good to see everybody. We're excited about being with you today uh, and uh, being asked to get to talk a little bit about marriage this morning. It's um, it's a great uh, privilege and honor, and we love what God is doing here at Trinity. And, uh, and maybe you're in this room, maybe you're married, that's awesome, uh, and you love being married. Hopefully today we'll have something for you if maybe you're married and you don't love being married. We're glad you're here because we believe God's going to say something to you. Maybe you're not married, you want to be awesome, or maybe you're not married, you don't want to be. There's going to be something for everybody here because we're going to look up the Word of God. We're going to share some um, thoughts that have been helpful for us in marriage uh, over the years, and uh, hopefully we'll learn together if that's cool with everyone. And uh, we wanted to start off, I figured if we're going to talk about marriage, we should probably tell them how we met, because to say that this is a romance made for Hallmark is not an understatement, okay? This is, I'm, I'm who's going to play you in the movie? I don't know. I'm thinking Brad Pitt for me, maybe a younger version, though. Um, anyway, so here's how we met, right? Uh, we were at Bible College together in Springfield, Missouri. I like to tell people that I was a freshman and Jen was a senior. So, makes me look good, makes her look like a little bit of a cradle robber. <laughs> and, um, and I was sitting in chapel one day, it was a freshman chapel. I was sitting there, and I had long hair at the time, like down on my shoulders. And all of a sudden, I feel somebody run their hand through my hair. And I turn around, and it's Jen, and she says, I'm sorry, I just had to touch your hair. <laughs> and I, I was like, I'm in love. There's something about that confidence. I don't know if any, any other guys in the room, I'm like, there's something about that confidence. I was like, man, this girl's the real deal. <laughs> and, uh, and so we started uh, a little while after that. We started dating. We dated for about a year, and we're engaged, and nine months after that, we're married. And uh, I was barely 20 years old when we got married. So this past June, we celebrated 14 years of marriage. And, <laughs> yep, we got two kiddos, and it's been, uh, it's been a journey, yes. mostly all easy. Right? No, that's a lie. Uh, it's been a journey, but our hope is to um, to be real with you today, to share some of our uh, some of our dark moments and good moments, and and um, and hopefully we understand we're all in this together, right? So I want to. Here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna read a text this morning that we're gonna look at. Jen's gonna pray for us, and then we'll uh, we'll dive in. If you've got your handout, or it should be on the screen, we're gonna read this morning from Genesis chapter 29, starting at verse 17. And here's what it says. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than I should give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love that he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people, of the place and made a feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpha to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this that you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, It is not done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. So Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be with his wife. Laban gave the female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years.
1: Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we could gather together and dive into your word. I just ask that as a body of believers, God, as Trinity, that you would just help us, Father, to be um, a church that has healthy, strong marriages and relationships, Lord God, that we would be an example to our children and to those around us. Um, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would be upon uh, what, what is being said and that you would challenge each and every one of our hearts to look more like you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
0: Amen. All right. So today what we want to do is um, we want this to feel less like a sermon, more like a conversation. And in fact, this text that we're looking at this morning, I I, I want to tell you, um, this is not a text that you would go to as a biblical uh, definition of marriage. Right. This is not something you'd say, "What, what should a healthy marriage look like? Well, turn here to Genesis. This is a great story. Um, In fact, what we've done today is we've thought through, like, what are some really things that we think are biblical and godly and that have been huge helps to us? And as we were preparing that, I came across this story, and I thought, man, there's some amazing parallels in this story that I think speak to uh, our hearts and what we want to share with you today. So we're going to do that, and and in fact, we want to share with you three things, three requirements of marriage, okay? Three requirements of marriage. And if you've got your handout and you love filling the blanks, you can pull that out now. The first thing we're going to look at is marriage requires covenant. Marriage requires covenant. So in this story, it's actually quite a bit longer. So if you want to go back and read it, you should do that. It'll be uh, beneficial for you. But in this story, we've got a guy named Jacob. And Jacob, the backstory is he's kind of a deceiver. He tricked his brother and he's running for his life. And he comes and meets his uncle Laban, which means the people he marries are his cousins. Again, not a, not a great example for marriage. I wouldn't follow this. But, um, but he meets his uncle Laban, and he says that he, uh, uh, he desires to marry his youngest daughter, Rachel. So he's got Rachel and Leah. Leah's the oldest. Rachel's youngest. And the words there, if you picked it up at the beginning, right, it says um, that uh, the words is Rachel's so beautiful. He's mesmerized. He worked for seven years for her, but it felt like but a couple of days. And I read that, and I thought, man, that reminds me like if you're married, do you remember that when he first kind of like fell in love? right Some of you are like, no it was it was long ago. I remember that moment, right like there's something that takes over you that is that is i I'm convinced one of the most dangerous times in a person's life because you will do some real dumb stuff <laughs> in that in that time, right like but I remember that feeling of, like, this person can do no wrong. Like, oh, I'm so in love. They're perfect for me. And 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 you kind of see that in Jacob's reaction. Like, he's mesmerized by her beauty, right? He's mesmerized by uh, what she looks like. And, and ladies, I don't know if I hear this is a thing for ladies. Um, did you have a, do you, you create a little checklist? You're like, this is what, I, this is a checklist for my husband. Did you do that? No. So you're like, so, you're, yeah. <laughs> so you're like, you know, tall, dark, handsome, right. funny. Right. Right. This is what I imagine Jen's checklist would have been. <laughs> um, but you could, you're like, this is what I want my husband to look like or my spouse to look like. Or you meet somebody and you, fa- you fall in love with the things that they can provide for you, right? Because that's really what Jacob is doing. She's beautiful. Oh, this is something I want. And we think when we meet a spouse and we start to fall in love, we think, man, I'm in love with what this person offers. They check so many of the boxes in my mind. And, and we fall in love I would argue, not with actually the person, but with the idea of that person. Because the reality is marriage has a way of uniting strangers, right? The longer that you're married, and we've been married for 14 years, some of you have been married for way longer than that, so you could speak this even more, but the longer that you're married, the more that you realize the person who you first married or you first made a commitment to is not the person that you're married to now. Because it's actually impossible to know somebody really until you journey through life with them, right? you got to go through hardship. you got to go through difficulty. you got to go through good times and bad and see the best of each other and the worst of each other. And, and until you journey through those things, it's much like a friendship, you can't really know a person. And so when you first fall in love, oftentimes you're falling in love with the idea of a person. But one of the problems is, as life goes on, sometimes those check boxes that originally made you fall in love begin to get unchecked. Right? They had a six-pack when we first met. <laughs> now they're 50 pounds heavier. Right? Uncheck. Right? All, all, uh, maybe sickness happens, life happens, stuff. And, and so if your marriage is based on the boxes, on what that person can give to you, inevitably what will happen is the temptation will rise in your heart to say, I'm, I'm done. I'm out. This person doesn't check enough boxes. But the biblical definition of marriage actually uses a, an idea called covenant. And a covenant is different than the rest of the world's definition because what a covenant does is a covenant says, I am promising and committing to do my part even if you don't do your part. So I'm going to love and serve you as my spouse even if you don't love and serve me all the time in the way that you should. And that's totally different than the rest of the world, right? Because the rest of the world goes, I'll do it as long as you do your part. So as long as you keep checking my boxes, then I'll, I'll try to check yours. But the moment that you stop, I'm going to stop. Covenant says, no, 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 you're committed to each other before God to love and serve, to do your part, even if the other is not doing theirs. And the reason why this is so important, in fact, we said it's a requirement for marriage, is that when times get hard, when life happens and people look different than who you first married, the idea of covenant will keep you committed through the worst of times so that you can see the best of times. And as Jen and I were preparing, we were, we were talking a little bit about a story that really made, when this became a reality in our lives, about yeah. two years into marriage, when we moved from Missouri to Long Island to start being pastors. So could you uh, share with us a little bit about that, babe? Yeah.
1: So my whole life growing up, since I was a, a child through my teen, through my young adulthood, um, I struggled with really bad fear. I had a really bad spirit of fear is how I will describe it, how I, how I identified it at that time for many, many, many years. I was just afraid of irrational things, things that a, a child maybe shouldn't be afraid of. Like we would travel, and I would get really sick, and my parents would be like, "Oh, she's just a, she just, you know, she doesn't travel well." At that time, not really realizing, like something, I was literally making myself like physically ill from the fear that I was experiencing. Um, again, just not very aware of it, and so go off to college. College is okay. Meet Jared. We ended up getting married. Um, had an event, had a, had a car accident that happened um, right before we moved to Long Island, which kind of set off this chain of events uh, for me personally. And I began to kind of emotionally spiral out of control. And we were just starting our um, pastoral ship. We're new hires, you know, the pastors are supposed to have it all together. And I start at this church, and I am like, I'm literally, I'm a mess, emotionally speaking. Um, I remember there were times when Jared would go off to work. I didn't have a job at the time. I I left a really job that I really loved in Missouri, and I kind of was like, where's my place now? And he would leave for work, and we had a very small apartment at that time, and I would literally just like pace the apartment for like eight hours, like taking no breaks. So by the time he came home from work, I was like gone. Like I had created a whole world in my head. Like there was nothing he was gonna say um, that was gonna bring me back. And uh, it was a very, very, very dark time in our our relationship. I was literally like a shell of who he met. So here we are in marriage. We're a year and a half in. We're pastors. And this woman that he's committed his life to is literally just a wreck. I I can barely function, to be quite honest with you. Um, And I remember us having a conversation as as we walked through that uh, process. And he said to me, he said, Jen, I didn't know any of this about you. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, he's probably thinking to himself, like, what have I done? Like, I've committed to this person. She's a lunatic. Like, I don't want to be in this marriage. So he says to me, like, I didn't know any of this about you. And then I I look back and I said to him, you don't understand. Like, I didn't know this about myself. Like, we're learning this about me together. Um, yeah, that was really challenging. It was a really really challenging time.
0: Yeah, I remember the realization that moment. Like, we got married. I I was 20. I was young. And I think this is true for anybody that that gets married, especially when you're married young. Is you, you don't know that other person, but you also really don't know yourself. Right. So if you don't know yourself, how could the person you're marrying really know you? Right. And this is why for us, like, covenant was such a central piece, because how tempting would it have been? And this was, this was one moment where um, she was experiencing this, but there's been other moments where I'm going through stuff, right? And how tempting in that moment when you go, I didn't, when I first fell in love, this was not part of the equation, this was not part of the, the picture. Like, I didn't plan to walk home and my wife seemingly having a nervous breakdown. I'm like, what what is happening? This is not the person I married, right? But when, when covenant is involved, it grounds you in realizing that I'm not giving up on this. This is part of the journey that God has called us to. And what's amazing now, like 14 years later, we are way more in love and committed to each other now. Because of that, Right. Because of those years of, I mean, marriage counseling, personal counseling for her feeling like
1: that's definitely a side note to this. Obviously, for time for time reasons, we can't get into the whole story. There's a lot more to the story of this part of our journey. But I want to encourage you, like if there are things that you are struggling with personally, please don't be afraid to seek out counseling. I, I personally feel like everyone can benefit from it. That's just a personal opinion of mine. But if there are things, if there are behaviors, or if there's thought patterns that you've been dealing with for a really long time, please don't be afraid or don't feel like it's a sign. I think sometimes we think it's a sign of weakness to, to ask for help. But really, I feel like it's really a sign of strength when you realize that there's something wrong and you want to be really who God wanted you to be. And in terms of like marriage, if there's a sense of uh, if you're struggling in your marriage right now, we went to marriage counseling Through a really dark period of our marriage, separate from this from this experience, and honestly, I went kicking and screaming. I was really annoyed. I didn't want to go as a woman. Like we had some personal things to talk about. Like I don't want to sit there and tell this guy like my personal stuff as a lady, you know. And it was difficult, and I didn't go happily. Honestly, that first session, I was really annoyed. But it ended up a tricked her. A really, I told her
0: we were going to the mall. <laughs>
1: the mall. <laughs> it ended up being a really positive thing. So I can understand, like, as, as a woman in a marriage, like being vulnerable like that, it takes a lot of courage and strength and it's not easy. But I want to encourage you, like, to fight, you know, to fight for it.
0: Yeah. So marriage requires covenant. And and this morning, here's our challenge for you. If you're here and, and maybe you feel like giving up, maybe you feel like um, hopeless, we've been there. And there's probably other people who have been married longer than us that are in this room. I guarantee you that they've been there. If you're willing to commit to the covenant, God can redeem any situation. And you will look back on it and be more in love because of it and more committed to each other if you're willing to commit to the covenant. Um, So marriage requires covenant. The second thing we want to share with you is marriage requires mission. Marriage requires mission. And uh, it's interesting when you look at this text, like, this text is kind of a case study, the story on dysfunction and idolatry. Uh, this, this, this story really shows us something about the condition of the human heart, which is the human heart is an idol factory, right? Like we are all constantly looking to things outside of Jesus to find worth and value. in. That's an idol. It may not be a little wooden statue, but it's an idol. And, and in this story, it's amazing to see the idolatry. you got Jacob who's coming in, and he's got some idolatry about his affection for one wife and not the other because of what it provides him. You've got his uncle Laban who tricks him, right? I mean, imagine this story. He promises him Rachel. He, he, he gets to his wedding night after seven years, wakes up the next morning, rolls over, and it's another woman, right? I mean, that's kind of a shock. And, um, and so he tricks him. And why? Why does Laban do that? Because in that culture, it would have been very dishonoring and embarrassing for Laban to have his younger daughter married before his older. So Laban's got this idol of um, acceptance, maybe cultural appropriateness. So he literally tricks his nephew into doing this. And then you've got these two women, Rachel and Leah. And if you read the story on, what begins to happen is they're both stricken with this idolatry of approval and acceptance from their husband, Jacob, but also from from the community and the culture that they're in. And that time, women's value and worth was based on their ability to produce children. So if you, if you look in the Bible, there's this theme of barren women, right, who God uses. And the reason is because in that time, that was your whole worth and value. And so these two women, Rachel and Leah, kind of go back and forth, and, and they're, they're desperate for the approval of their husband, Laban. They're desperate for it, and they're thinking, if I could just give him more kids, then he'll love me, or then I'll be accepted. And so um, as we were, we were reading this story, it so reminded us of something that's been hugely helpful in our lives, which is understanding the language and the idea of idolatry. And uh, there's a book I love. It's called You Can Change by a guy named Tim Chester. And he says there's four main root idols that everybody worships. You tend to worship one of them. And they're power. That's if you like to be in charge, you, you find your sense of worth and value from having power over other people. Uh, that, so if you like to be in charge, that could be yours. There's security. It's those that um, find their sense of worth and value in in being in control, having, having everything the way that they like it, maybe, uh, maybe the higher your bank account number is, you're like, okay, finally, I'm safe. I, you may have a security idol. There's comfort. Those are, that's those who will do anything to avoid any sort of pain or facing the challenges of life. So people that are maybe addicted to drugs or alcohol will numb the pain, maybe pornography. Uh, it could even be addicted to TV, Netflix, eating, even uh, exercise, right? Anything that you will fill your life with to numb the pain or numb the facing of that reality. And so um, I told Pastor David, I said, that's why him and I only exercise and diet a little bit so that it's not... you know, I don't want him to have an idol in his life. So it's just one of the ways that we serve our pastors. Um, And then the last one is approval. And this is my idol of choice. And we find our worth and value in the approval of the people around us. And for me, my wife is one of those big ones, right? So power, security, comfort, and approval. And what's been helpful for us is identifying what each one of our primary idols is. So mine's approval And Jen will share hers in a moment. And so uh, we want you, at the end, we're going to give you homework when you leave here today to figure out what your primary idol is. And then you got to figure out what your spouse's is, okay? And you guys have to have a little conversation about it because it will be hugely beneficial for you in your life. And so I wanted Jen to share a little bit of a story about really the darkest time of our life and our marriage. Believe it or not, that first story was not the darkest um, but I wanted her to share a little bit about and how that really uprooted and exposed um, her primary idol in her life. Yeah.
1: See, some, sometimes it takes hardship and loss to expose the idols in your life. Um, and that was the case for me. My mother got diagnosed with um, a very ro- rare form of blood cancer about four years ago. And um, <clears throat> it was a very difficult journey, which any cancer journey is. Hers was just extremely traumatic. There was just, we, we, were, we were drowning pretty much for the 23 months that she battled, um, we ended up uh, losing her. She went to be with Jesus in March 2017. Um, And during that time um, is when I really became aware of the idol of security that I had in my life in regards to my mother. Um, So I grew up in a single parent home and my mother was really my, my caretaker, my main caretaker. Throughout my entire life, into my young adulthood, to my adulthood, my mom was my cheerleader. She was always on my team. And even when I felt like other people weren't on my team, I had a broken family, so uh, um, I oftentimes faced a lot of rejection from the other side of my family. But the one stable person, like on earth, who always, I felt like I didn't have to work for her to approve me, I didn't have to work for her to accept me, was, was my mother. And so now she's ill, and not only am I losing this person who is incredibly special to me, but my idol is being attacked constantly, this idol of security, because I know, like, something, you know, the the things that she was able to be for me are being attacked. Um, She had a very generous spirit about her, and um, she was such a financial help to us in our marriage. Um, It just was who she wasn't rich, but she was super generous with her money. Um, So when we were struggling financially, she would, you know, when we were first married, we were married on uh, June 11th, the 11th of every month, she would send us $100. So, like, when we couldn't make bills, it was like, okay, but the 11th's coming because mom's going to send a $100 check. Like, that's just who she was. That was her nature. When Thank you, kid- moms.
0: We love you. Yeah. Thank you.
1: When my kids came, she would buy, like, all the diapers, all the wipes. Um, she would buy these little jammy zip-up things that we were, like, obsessed with, with the little feet, you know, and the kids were, those, were like, obsessed with those. And when she was ill and, and I and eventually died, I was like, oh, my gosh, like, what are we going to do? Like, my kids are never going to have jammies again, which is totally irrational. I understand that. But when you're going through that type of grief and trauma, those are the type of things that you can say to yourself, right? And I thought, this is it. Like, my, li- my life is over. Everything stable in my life is crashing around um, in front of me. What I didn't realize at the time when we, were going th- when we were going through that time is God was opening up other doors and other means to provide for us, um, and this is a very silly thing, and I almost feel feel silly mentioning it, but it's true. The opportunity to learn how to coupon came into our life, which sounds like crazy, but it did. And uh, I remember we still have toothpaste. We had toothpaste have a for like five bottle. years. <laughs> Um, so amazing. this opportunity came into my life for me to start couponing and, and being more savvy about money and saving. And I remember I went on Carter's like Oshkosh Bagosh, and I ordered my kids like five, five one-piece pajamas. When that thing came in the mail, I was like bawling hysterically because I re- God was telling me like I have you in ways that you never imagined. Like, so then I, re- then I realized, wow, when my mom was so generous with her spirit, yes, that was her, but really it was God's way of providing for us. And God was telling me, like, this has been taken from you or this is lost, but I have had you then and I have you now. And it was realizing that the security all along really wasn't that relationship. It wasn't my mother. Though she provided those things, the security really was Christ. And my heart needed to get back to that to say, you've had turbulence happening in your life. You've lost this but I'm always going to have you because the security is not going to be found in our marriage. It's not going to be found in our relationship. It's not going to be found in the things that he can provide for me because he's human. He's going to mess up. There's going to be times where financially we're going to get shake as, as a couple, but I have to remind myself of that idol of security that I have because there are times in my life where that idol starts to be attacked, and when that idol is attacked, I start to fall apart. If I don't remind my heart that really, the person who offers the ultimate security, no matter what you're walk, walking through, in means of couponing something so ridiculous, is really at the helm of it. Is really Christ. He's really offering that gift of security to me.
0: What was interesting in that time too, as she's going through this, my idol's approval, right? So I want the approval of my wife. So she's sitting there crying, crying, and saying, everything's falling apart. Uh, not, you know, nothing's going to happen. I'm losing my mom. I've lost my mom. I can't, I have no security anymore. And I'm like, what about me? You know, every man's worst nightmare, right? Like you're not enough. And my idol of approval starts coming. So like idols are flying everywhere. They're trying to top each other and having the language of idolatry and, and each of us understanding the primary idol of each other's hearts was so helpful because we understand what's really happening here, what's the real problem, and then how do I help my spouse? Right. And so what it reminded us is that marriage doesn't just require a covenant, meaning we got to stay together. Marriage also requires a mission, <laughs> meaning I have a job, and my job is to help my spouse love and trust more in Jesus.
1: Right, and can I say it? it this fact it doesn't make trials in your life easy. It won't make them joyful, but it can make them purposeful. So in your marriage, when you go through struggles, and you, if you have that mindset, for me, I try, it doesn't, again, it doesn't make what we walk through any easier. I don't feel joy in having to watch my mother suffer. There was no joy there. It wasn't easy. But I can look back and say, but God was using it for his purpose, and there was a purpose to it. So just to encourage any of you today, any of you walking through trials or tribulations, it won't make it easier but there can be purpose, and when, when Christ is involved, there is purpose involved in it, and it often makes your life, and it makes you who God designed you to be.
0: So you've got a covenant. Marriage requires covenant. Marriage requires mission. And part of that mission is to understand each other's idols and help each other love and trust more in Jesus. And so that's your homework when you leave. You've got to figure out what's your idol, what's your spouse's idol, and uh, that'll go a long way to help so the four you.
1: four again, just in case.
0: Okay, the so four. power. Number one is power. Number two is security. Number three is comfort, and number four is approval. So you can uh, spend some time figuring that out. Hopefully, that doesn't start up any fights. If it does start a fight, that should indicate some idolatry. That's that's right. That's that's right. So use that fight for good. (laughs) All right. Last thing we we know marriage requires is marriage requires the gospel. Marriage requires the gospel. And it's interesting in this text, the story of Leah, right? Who is at first really rejected by her husband. she gets to the point where um, she starts to have kids. And her first couple of kids, she begins to make these statements like, maybe now my husband will love me. Maybe now Jacob will love me. This, this desperate attempt, this idolatry, as we said, to have acceptance from Jacob. But what's interesting is, as she has about her third child, the, the language shifts, which indicates that there's something happening within the heart of Leah. And instead of saying, maybe now my husband will love me, she begins to praise and worship God. And it indicates very much so that there's a shift that happens in her heart where in every other relationship in her life, including her relationship with Jacob, the idea that she had in her mind was my worth and value, my acceptance is based on my performance. So my ability to perform, my ability to have kids, my ability to be uh, attractive, all of those things will dictate how much love and acceptance I get. That was, that was how she was thinking. But then all of a sudden she has this realization, this moment that transforms her heart and she realizes The love and acceptance and grace of God is not dictated on my performance. It's not dictated on what I can do for him. Because in reality, I can't do anything for him. But yet, despite my inability to do anything for him, despite my sin, my brokenness, the ugliness of who I am deep down, God has lavished his love and grace and mercy on us. And this this truth, this experience that Leah has, reveals a reality that our hearts need. Which is, we need the gospel. We have to be centered in it. Because one of the things that's interesting, if you read on, there's actually indication that Leah starts to forget this. Which which really speaks to the truth that we not only need to know this, we need to be rooted in the gospel, but we need to be reminded of the gospel. And especially this is true when we're talking about marriage. Because marriage requires us to understand and view the person that we're married to through the lens of the gospel. If we're going to function well, we've got to view them that way. And, and, and here's how um, it's helpful for me to think about it. The gospel reminds us, right? If you think about the cross and what Jesus did, it reminds us that God loved you and I so much. The creator of the universe who knows you more than anybody. I mean, think about the dark stuff in your heart that, that no one knows. And think about the stuff that you don't even know about yourself, right? But God knows. He knows you more intimately than anybody. He created you. And yet, knowing that about you, he still loved you so desperately that he took on the wrath of his father, gave up his righteousness, imparted it to you so that you could have eternal life. Like, he lavished his grace on you and I, even though we couldn't do anything for him. That's the level of love and grace that the gospel declares over us. And what marriage is, is marriage is intended to be a display of the gospel through that relationship. So as we love and serve each other, We should look at each other and view each other through the same lens of love and grace that Jesus looks on us, right? So how much value does my wife have? It's really easy for me to measure that or decide that based on what she can do for me. But the gospel reminds my heart that her worth and value isn't dependent on what she can do for me. It's dependent on what Jesus thinks about her. And Jesus has declared her worth and value on the cross. And when two people can do that for each other... And sometimes it doesn't happen that way. Sometimes it's one more than the other, right? right? That's where covenant comes in. You're committed. But when two people do that to each other, your marriage relationship can shine the gospel light in such a way that it impacts your children, your neighbors, the people in your church, your coworkers, everybody. Your relationship becomes a picture of Jesus' love and grace for us. And recently we kind of had a... um, well, let's just say it's a little embarrassing story for me. But we had, a little, we had a little story where this really became real about how easy a marriage it is and in all relationships to have grace on yourself more than grace on the other person. Guys, stay with me on this one. Go ahead, babe. Tell them a the story.
1: So a couple, a couple months ago, we were in the process of cleaning out our basement. We've only really been living here a year and a half, and so you know how when you move, you have all your stuff, you have to go through it all. So our basement was a wreck. And so it was after church on a Sunday, we had to go to Home Depot and buy, like, those huge utility shelves to kind of un- unbox our stuff. <clears throat> they were super heavy, so I couldn't carry them myself. Um, so we went to the Home Depot after church. We bought, like, three huge utility shelves, whatever, went home, did all the whole thing. Well, the next morning, Jared takes my kids to school, which is routine. And about five minutes after he left, my phone rings, and it's his phone number. So I automatically thought that kids forgot something, you know, something happened with the kids. And I can tell as soon as I answered, he's very annoyed at me. He's like, Jen, I just I just wanted you to know that you left the van door, the back door of the van, you left that open all night long. And I'm like, that sounds oh a my little harsher gosh. than
0: I think I was. And
1: he I... said, and 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 you know that that can wear down the battery. We could get robbed. I mean, he's going on. Of course, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Blah 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 blah. You know. And so he's going on and on. He's really upset about this door being open. So then I stop and think for a minute. I'm like, what did we do? Why did I leave the door open? And then I remember, wait, we went to Home Depot. We bought those shelves. He bought the shelves in. He left the van door open last night. You know, so, of course, I'm like, thank you, Jesus. I'm like, there is a God. It's a terrible moment. There Guys, you know what I'm talking about. So I quickly was like, oh, you know, I, you left the van door open. And then he responds like, oh, it, that happens, Jen. You know, like life gets busy. Those were heavy shelves. Well, that happens. And of course, I'm on the line going, oh, now, now the fact that the van door was open, the battery, the robbery, none of that matters now because he's the one that left the van open, but he's calling me, yelling at me, you know? So we hang up, hung up the phone. Of course, I'm like in heaven. I'm like, this is like the best day ever, you know? And uh, so I started thinking, though, on a, on a more serious side, I started, it started thinking through that and and I, and I had this thought of, like, how often in marriage and relationship are we so easy to have grace on ourselves and so not prone to have grace on the other person? And it was one of those, you know, a funny story, but a real instance where he had absolutely no grace on me, you know, that the door was left open. But when he found out he left the door open, all of a sudden, it really wasn't a big issue. Things changed. There was, changed. There was a good reason changed. for yeah. it. You know, and I I have found in our marriage personally, and and we don't want to oversimplify this. There is some abusive things happening in relationships where if that's where you're at, we're not trying to deflect or or find an easy path for anybody. There's different personalities. There's emotional abuse. There's physical abuse. And we're not beyond thinking there's no one struggling with that in this room today. So please don't think of us oversimplifying the situation but we do want to say, I feel as though when you offer that grace to someone, especially in a marriage relationship, how many fights could be squandered so much more quickly? How many less cutting words would we say to each other? How many less things would we say that we really didn't want to say, but you know, in that moment, you're angry. It's like, as, as happy as Jared can make me, he literally can tick me off like no one else in the entire world. Like, literally, he can push buttons in me that, a like, no one else a can push. But it's true, right, of your spouse. It's like they can make you the happiest, but they know, like, that little thing to do that's like, could drive you insane. So we want to encourage you. We want to encourage you and say maybe some of you fought, like, at home this morning. And you can't wait to, to leave because you got your whole story, how you're going to take them, right? I know. I've been there, right? You're like, probably 50, I
0: Probably wanna... 50% of the couples in here definitely no, fought on the way to church Right, and morning. then you're
1: probably in here, like, you're not even paying attention. You're like, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say that. Let me get my notepad out. Like, I don't want to miss a thing to say to him or her, you know. We want to challenge you to say, like, in those moments, reflect on or allow the reflection to be how much grace Christ lavished on you how much more grace should we lavish on our spouses? And again, we're not oversimplifying it. We understand there's some really, really difficult things. or some deep pain and some deep hurt that makes, the, makes that so much more challenging. We understand that. And in that case, we, we encourage you to seek counseling. Please come speak to the pastors here. Find someone who you can talk to to help walk you through that if you're in that type of a relationship. But offer each other Grace. Offer each other grace. See them how Jesus sees them. And, if, and listen, we're not pros at this. We don't do this all the time. We have our battles. We have our, but we're aware of it, and we're trying to work through it, and we want to take other couples with us to say we're the body of Christ. Like if we can't be real in this place, there's no place else we should be able to be real, more real than we are here, right? We're the body of Christ. We need each other. We need to lean in and lean on one another and say how do we make Trinity a place where we have really healthy marriages and really healthy families? And I think if we start with having more grace on one another, we can start to move into a direction where we can be that.
0: Marriage requires covenant if you feel like giving up. Remind your heart this morning, Christ made a covenant with you that he will never break. And maybe he could give you the strength to continue and work through and commit. Marriage requires mission. Um, God's not just called you to stay married, but to fight for your spouse, to help them become the person God wants them to be. He wants you to help root up the idols of our heart and turn our hearts back to Jesus. And uh, and lastly, marriage requires the gospel.
1: Jer-, Jer, can I make one more statement? I'm sorry to interrupt you about this. Um, something I did we'll want to fight. make mention. We'll fight about <laughs> this later. It's fine. <laughs> I'm making my list now. Uh, some of the things, one of the things else I wanted to say to you is what I what I love about Christ is he doesn't only redeem our past, right? Like he forgives us of our sins. We come to know him. He washes that away. He promises us heaven, so he redeems our future. But God is really, Christ is really in the business of redeeming, like, your present. Like, you don't have to wait to get to heaven to walk into the redemptive power of the cross. Like, being a Christian means, like, it doesn't mean you're not going to go through some hard stuff. It doesn't mean marriage is going to be difficult and downtime. But what it does mean is Christ is in the business of redeeming the brokenness in your life right now in this moment of time. I just want to just remind your hearts of that and encourage you with that.
0: Well, what we want to do is we want to pray for you guys um, and we remind you, you got a little homework, okay? So you're going you're gonna, to, when you leave here, you're going to figure out what's the hard idol that we each have. And then we also want to encourage you, if you need an extra dose of grace uh, today, that you would be able to give that to each other. So Jen and I want to pray for you. I'm going to pray for the guys. She's going to pray for the girls. Um, if you're married, would you grab the hand of the person next to you and hold it? Even if you got in a fight this morning, um, <laughs> this will help you uh, break that fight. And uh, if you guys could close your eyes, and, and as, as you do, if you're not married in this place, um, I hope that you still understand one day, maybe you will be married and this will apply to you. But even if not, um, these are also important lessons for really any relationship that we have. Mm-hmm. That relationships require these things, mm-hmm. and, um, and, I, and I really believe God wants us to be better and to do better when it comes to living out the gospel and the relationships that we have in our life. So as you guys hold hands, as your heads are, heads are bowed, and eyes are closed, I love to pray for the guys, and Jen's going to pray for the, for the ladies. Father, we thank you for the men in this room, for the husbands, future husbands, God. We, we pray for, uh, for us that you would help, Lord, fill us with your spirit, that we would be men of God, men who are committed to loving and serving our wives and our families as you have loved and served us that the moments when we, uh, we want to be lazy or selfish, or do our own thing, the moments when we want to look to the idols of our heart of approval or affection, or maybe we feel like we're not getting what we think we deserve, God, that the truth of the gospel would sink deep into our hearts and that we would remind ourselves, thanks to you, we never get what we deserve, but instead we get your grace and your mercy. And so that you would allow us to be men of God who are committed to, to loving and serving our wives and helping them be the women of God that you've called them to be. Let that be our prayer this morning.
1: Father, I just lift up all of my sisters in the room tonight, Lord, today, Lord God. And I just ask, Father, that you would just meet each one of us where we are, Father, in our marriages, in motherhood, in our in our single life, in our relationship life, God, that you would just meet us where we are, Father. I pray that you would give strength to all the women and all the many hats that we wear as, as mothers and wives and caretakers and employers and bosses, I just ask, God, that you would strengthen their hearts and their minds, Father, that you would um, help us to view our husbands, God, the way that you view them, that in those moments where we are quick to um, use a sharp tongue, God, would you help our pride to die down, Father, and would you help us to use words of healing and more a more positive tone when speaking to one another, God, that only your Holy Spirit can do through each and every one of us, and I ask, God, that you would um, you would make Trinity a place where we have strong, healthy relationships, where we can lean in and lean on one another, Father God. I thank you, Lord. I thank you for redeeming the past, the present, the future, God, but I, but I also thank you for redeeming the present situations that we're facing. Just bless uh, the rest of our day today. We would just pray for Pastor David and his family, that you would bless them and help us to just have a fantastic rest of the day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.